let us now read together from our confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 50. It's on page 557 of your book of praise. There we have God's word summarized as follows, dealing with the Lord's Prayer. What is the fourth petition? Give us today our daily bread. That is, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. We will sing together after the sermon from Psalm 104, the stanzas 3, 4, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we will deal with a matter that is very close to our heart, namely our daily bread. Bread is something we cannot do without. If we do not eat, we do not live. And so we spend a lot of time acquiring sufficient bread for ourselves, our children, and those dependent on us. You'll agree that as far as that goes, this is a success story. For there is never a day in our lives that we do not have something to eat. The reality is that we receive more than we need. However, praying for bread includes more than just food. In reality, it refers, as also the Catechism states, to all our bodily needs. Our bodily needs are many. Aside from food, we also need shelter and clothing. Our bodies also need health care and rest. As far as that goes, we have little to complain about as well. We're not employed as slaves and able to have a day of rest every week. We can also go to a doctor or to be admitted to a hospital when this is necessary, we're physically well looked after. However, most people in Canada receive these things as well. We live in a very affluent country. And we may wonder what difference it makes whether we pray or not. Most Canadians do not pray for their bread. They do not pray because they do not believe. And yet they too are well looked after. In some cases, they're even better off than some of us. What then is the sense of praying? Is it true that our food depends on him alone? If that is so, why is it that two-thirds of the world still goes hungry while one-third has an abundance? Why do these things happen? What is the role of prayer? How can prayer make a difference? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, prayer, as we confess in Lord's Day 45, is the most important part of our thankfulness. 
And the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 2, tells us that prayer is one of the holy exercises of godliness. The Lord God wants us to pray. And he wants us to pray for some very good reasons. Summarize this Lord's Day as follows. The Lord teaches us to pray for all our bodily needs. Such prayer teaches us, in the first place, gratitude. In the second place, dependence. And in the third place, trust. It is important that we see this petition within the context of the Lord's Prayer itself. For the order that the Lord Jesus chose in the Lord's Prayer is not arbitrary. The petitions of the Lord's Prayer are like jewels on a string, deliberately arranged in a specific order. The first three petitions concern God himself. Only then are men's needs addressed. First, Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for the holiness of God's name, then for the coming of God's kingdom, and then for the necessity to do God's will. And so matters that deal directly with God are first dealt with. And then the needs of man are dealt with. Our daily bread, the forgiveness of sins, our deliverance from the evil one. For that reason, John Calvin compares the division of the Lord's Prayer with the two tables of the law. The law has that same order, first dealing with God, then dealing with man. The petitions were put in the order that they are to remind us that God is most important in our lives. He is most important in everything. But now we may wonder why bread is the first petition of the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Our need for daily bread is mentioned even before the forgiveness of sins and before the deliverance of, from the evil one. And that is why in the past some people had difficulty with the order in the Lord's Prayer. They saw a need to reinterpret it. The Vulgate, which was the official translation of the church for over a thousand years, and which is still the official translation of the Roman Catholic Church, translate the fourth petition as a prayer for our supernatural bread. According to them, this deals with our spiritual needs, not our physical needs. And so we must pray for our supernatural bread. There are also others from different backgrounds who have the same opinion, stating that God is not so much concerned with our physical bread, but especially with our spiritual bread. There are also those who make a direct connection with the bread of the Lord's Supper table. And so they say that the bread of the Lord's prayer points to Christ, who is called in John 6, verse 50 and 51, our heavenly bread. But if that's how you reason, then you place God outside of your daily existence. If that is the way it would be, then we would have a God who does not directly concern himself with our bodily needs. But is that really so? The scriptures point in a different direction. The Lord God is very much concerned with our bodily needs. He is the one who created us in such a way that we need food and that we need shelter and clothing in order to survive. And how can you you pray for the forgiveness of sins? For strength in one's battle against the evil one, if you are not able to exist physically, you need to be alive in order to hallow God's name, to further his kingdom, and to do his will. Without food you cannot live. 
Without food, without being alive, you cannot praise God's name. And you need to be alive to serve God. Our physical and our spiritual needs are very closely connected. And therefore we may not separate our body from our soul. That's what philosophers such as Plato have done in the past and other religions, including the Roman Catholics. They say that the physical has little to do with the spiritual. And that is why the Roman Catholic Church does not have any problem with some sort, some form of evolution either. God is concerned with the soul of the people. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that the body and soul belong together. And by praying for one's daily bread, we acknowledge that all good gifts come from God. We acknowledge that he is the origin and source of all that we receive. And for that reason, he gives us this petition to pray. For he wants us to acknowledge him in this way. He wants us to give thanks for all that he does for us. And that is a good thing to think about as we prepare for the celebration of Thanksgiving next week. And so it is a good custom that we pray for our meals. This has been a God-ordained custom for God's people from the very beginning. And this way we remember in Deuteronomy 26, God... Deuteronomy 26, the Israelite believer is taught to acknowledge God's goodness through the offering of the first fruits. The people were commanded to take the first fruits of the ground and to offer those first fruits, first crops to God. God commanded this so that the people would acknowledge that the harvest was not due to their own work in the first place, but that it was due to God. He is the one who gives growth. And he is the one who led them out of Egypt and give them this land flowing with milk and honey. And so they must acknowledge that once they're in the land of Israel, in that land full of goodness. And in Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, the command is given, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And the Lord Jesus himself also had the good custom to pray for his food. We read in Matthew 14 verse 19 that he directed the people to sit down in the grass and that he took five loaves and two fish and that he looked up to heaven and that he then gave thanks and then broke the loaves. He prayed and gave thanks before the meal. But there is a lot more at stake than our daily bread. As I said, all our bodily needs are included. Whereas the petition itself is short and simple, its sweep is far and wide. This petition concerns itself that with all that is necessary to keep us fed, housed, and sheltered. This petition, therefore, concerns itself with protecting our safety, our very lives. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, then we also pray for the growing, the production, and the distribution of food. It concerns itself with the government, which regulates these things, and it concerns itself with our economic circumstances. It concerns itself with our total physical existence here on this earth, 
And there is not a thing so small that we are not allowed to pray for it. We can even pray for a needle or a nail when we dearly need it. We do not have to think easily that we are bothering the Lord God with small things, with peanuts. No, when we are in need of something, we may pray to him. Indeed, he even wants you to do that. Also, you children in the congregation, remember that, that the Lord God will listen to you when there is something that you really need. Pray to him. But there are limits. In the original edition of the Heidelberg Catechism, there is spoken of not our bodily needs, but all things necessary for life. All those things which are necessary for the maintenance of one's body. We should not pray for those, those things we would like to have. Bread is not the same as cake. We can do without cake, but not bread. And we can do without luxurious items of comfort, but not the basic staples. And if you carefully make distinctions, then you cannot but come to the conclusion that a lot of things that we deem necessary, in reality, are not necessary at all. And most of the things we want are luxuries, things that afford us comfort. We're not satisfied with just the necessities of life. Does that mean then that God is against riches? No, that's not the case. There are many examples of rich people in the Bible who are also God-fearing people. Think of Job. He was a very rich man. Or Abraham. He too was rich. And Job, however, was able to let go of his riches. And so was Abraham. He left his nephew Lot to pick the best of the land. These men were not tied to their earthly riches. But the Lord warns us time and again about the danger of seeking luxuries and abundance. For example, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and virtual desires that plunge man into ruin and destruction. The Lord teaches us to be content with what he gives to us in food, clothing, and shelter. If you're satisfied with those basic things, then you also have the secret of happiness. If you are satisfied, if you are a satisfied person, a thankful person, then you're also a person at peace. And you're at peace, first of all, with God. And you're also at peace with your neighbor. Then you do not covet your neighbor's goods either. The words of Agur are very apt in this context. He writes in Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so this petition goes against the spirit of the times. When you acknowledge that God is the giver of all things, then he will also provide you with all the basic necessities of life, and then you go against the materialism of this world. 
for we live in a very self-indulgent society. We live in a world where possessions are idolized. If you pray this petition with a believing heart, then you will not go along with the idolatry of the world. And then you put things into a proper perspective. And then you will acknowledge that your riches are from God and that they always are from God. All else is emptiness, vanity, as the preacher says. You're totally dependent on him. We come to the second point. The catechism teaches us that our care and labor, just like the blessings that we do receive, cannot do us any good without God's blessing. That statement implies that everyone, without exception, receives whatever they have from God. But if you do not acknowledge God in this, then you receive all those riches to your condemnation. And for that reason, we should not speak about common grace either. Those who spurn God's gifts do not receive his grace. They receive his curse instead. God's grace is not common. His kindness and compassion is, but grace is forfeited favor. And those who receive God's kindness and the things that they receive, all the people in Canada who receive all those things, they do not receive God's favor. For they don't acknowledge him as the giver of all things. They stand condemned. But what does the word blessing actually mean? Does that refer to material blessings? When are you really blessed? Think about it. Are you blessed when everything is going well? When God says that he will bless you, does that mean that he is going to give you a life of luxury? Does God guarantee you well-being and success? Is that what he promises? Do our prayers obligate God to realize all our desires? Certainly not. Think about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery, and then he was thrown into prison. During all that time, did God withhold his blessings? Of course not. God greatly blessed him. Think about Paul. He had no possessions to speak of. He was time and again beaten for his faith, sometimes so severely that he was left for dead. He had a thorn in the flesh, which God would not remove. And to top it all off, he also found opposition, not only in the world, but in the very churches that he established. But did God, during all that time, withhold his blessings from him? No. The contrary is true. It was during his greatest needs that God, that Paul felt closest to God and that he felt most blessed. For it was in those times that he realized how dependent he was on him. He was thankful at all times for the gift of life that God gave to him. He was thankful therefore for also every material blessing, no matter how small. One time somebody came to bring him a coat to keep him warm. He didn't have a coat. What does he do? He gives thanks to God. 
He doesn't complain about the things that he doesn't have. He does not complain about his miserable circumstances and the terrible hardships that he had to endure. No, as he says in Philippians 4, he does not complain of want. For he learned, he says, in whatever state he is, to be content. He says he knows the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. For he knows how to be thankful. May you know God's word. May you realize that every gift and every comfort is a foretaste of heaven. However small the gift may be, it is from the Lord. And Thus, it is an indication of his glory. The glory that you can share now and that you will share in full abundance in the life hereafter. For God's glory shines through all the gifts that we receive here on this earth, even the very small ones. And then we live out of thankfulness for God, for all of his gifts. And then our care and our labor is seen in a completely different light. And then we are not bitter and angry. Then we are not so anxious about our material well-being. And then we do not so easily boast of all the material things which we have acquired for ourselves. And how well we have done for ourselves. That's not a Christian attitude at all. A living faith confesses that whatever we have is from God. A living faith confesses total dependence on Him for all our needs. A home with many material blessings, material possessions, is not necessarily a blessed home. A table full of a variety of great foods is not necessarily a blessed table either. The opposite can be true. The increase of material things often also indicate an increase of pain and sorrow. It is often the case that the more money you have in the wallet, the emptier your heart. The more you sweat and labor for material things, the less you sweat and labor for spiritual things. Spurgeon once said that prosperity can be the hole in the fence through which the sheep wander away. Material blessings have the potential to draw us away from a proper relationship with God and our neighbor. Because then we want to depend on those material things. Then we don't need God. Then we don't need our neighbor. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. There's a lot of tension and turmoil when you do nothing but pursue material well-being. There's a lot of anxiety in the relentless pursuit of material things. And such a unrelenting pursuit will make your heart grow cold and leave you isolated, lonely, and without love. It alienates you from God and it alienates you from all your loved ones. As it says in Proverbs 15 verse 7, Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. It is important to note that the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. 
The Lord God does not just want us to be concerned about our own full stomachs, but also about the stomachs of our neighbors. That little pronoun, ours, was inserted into this prayer to have us look beyond ourselves. It was inserted to penetrate our own selfish world so that we can see the need of others. And you can only see that if you are not so busy with your own life all the time. It was inserted to teach us not to live in our own little world. For the more we concentrate on our own needs, the unhappier you will become. If you concentrate on yourself, you're likely to become depressed. Someone who does that concentrates on the things that are lacking in his life, the things he wants to have. He or she concentrates on the things that are missing, not on the things that have been given to him or her. Naval gazers, in the end, will devour themselves. It is true that prayer is a personal thing, but it may never lead to individualism. On the contrary, in our prayers, we have to be reminded that we are reaching out to God and that we must also reach out to others, to God's people and to all those whom God places on our path. When we learn to pray in the right way, then we learn also to act in the right way. Whoever has learned to live out of the abundance from God cannot help but also share those riches that he has been given. When you pray for our daily bread, that you do this because you confess fellowship with all of mankind. And for that reason, we also ought to reach out, not only to the poor here at home, but also to the poor in the rest of the community and the country at large, and also to the poor in the rest of the world. It's God's command. Indeed, we must be concerned first about our fellow believers, as it says in Galatians 5. But you do not stop there. God gives us blessings, not so that we can indulge ourselves, but so that we can reach out to others in need. And that is why there are rich and poor in this world. God wants us not only to give, not wants to teach us not only to give, but also to receive. There are those who are too proud to go to the deacons and ask for help. They believe that they are a failure when they have to do that. But they do not recognize that the deacons are God's gift to the poor at, and the poor and needy at home and abroad. They are given as God's blessing to those who are in need. The last statement of this Lord's Day states that we must withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in God. That's the third point. This is a very timely and necessary statement and very hard to put into practice for we are prone by our human nature to place our trust in man, to place our trust in earthly powers, we think that it is first of all up to us to acquire bread for ourselves. And so we look to our own devices, our own cleverness. We look to our jobs, our bank managers, and our investments to provide for us. We bank on a stable economy and a good demand for our services. 
And if that does happen, and if it does happen that something goes wrong, then we first think that we must go somewhere else to help us out, to bail us out. With this petition, however, we are taught to go to God first. Ultimately, he is the one who only can rescue you from your financial woes. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan. That doesn't mean that you don't need other people. But don't put them first. Put God first. Put your trust in him. For if you depend on earthly things, then, and then at some time you will come to no other conclusion that you will have built your walls of security on shifting sand. Such a foundation does not hold when ill winds blow. For physical things do not last. Gold and silver can be lost. Crops can fail. Economies can flounder. The dollar can lose its value overnight. The banks can close their vaults. For that reason, teaches, God teaches us to trust in him. And note well that we are taught to pray for our daily bread. The word that is used in the original text is used only once in the New Testament. And that is here. Most translated, most translators translate it as daily. However, there are those who believe that the word actually means our necessary bread. Give us this day our necessary bread. Indeed, that's the heart of the matter. The Lord teaches us to pray for the bread that is necessary today. It teaches you to pray for your daily ration. It's very instructive the way that the Lord God dealt with his people in the desert as they made their way to the promised land. At that time, each day, God rained manna from heaven. But he gave enough just for one day. Anything left over the next day would not be fit for consumption. By that time, it would be spoiled. It would be full of worms. However, before the Sabbath, he would give enough for two days. He provided only for each day to teach the people not to hoard food or material things and to trust God to provide each day. Do you see how faithful God is in providing for us? He provides for you every day. He's done that all your life and he will continue to do that. He promises that. And he provides for the animals in the bush. And if he does that, will he not also provide for us his children who are the crown of his creation? And he does. And when he does withhold his hand, what then? Well, then he does that in order to make us realize that we are dependent on him and that we must trust in him at all times. For the Lord God does provide. He is a gracious God. He has given us life, both physical and eternal life. Eternal life is not possible without physical life. You must first be physically alive in order to be eternally alive. For God has redeemed both body and soul. And that's why he sent his son. He sent his son to redeem all of life. And so, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, let us pray daily. Give us this day our daily bread. It's an essential prayer to remain physically and eternally and spiritually alive. 
For as it says in Lord's Day 45, he will give his grace and his Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. Amen.